And now it's time for our podcast, The Mound Visit, with Tyler Goodrow, Chris Snooze, and CJ Medlin. And on his way out to the mound first is Tyler Goodrow. Hey everybody, this is The Mound Visit, the catcher's podcast show, the first of its kind, and hopefully we don't run out of six mound visits. All right, that's a terrible joke. I get it. I'm one of your co-hosts and fellow backstop, Tyler Goodrow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Goodrow Catching, as well as at the mound underscore visit, which joined by my fellow teammates, CJ Medlin from the Midwest Catching Academy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Chris Snooze, under two catching in Buffalo, New York. Gentlemen, say hello and tell everybody how nice the weather is in your state. Well, hello. Go ahead, CJ. Oh, well, fine. How's everyone doing? (laughs) I'll I'll go ahead and rock and roll here. This is CJ Medlin here in Tulsa, Oklahoma with a balmy 31 degrees with a nice sunny sky. And a cool breeze makes you feel like it's about 23 outside. We are Midwest Catching Academy, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Midwest Catching Academy. And you can follow us on Facebook at the same as at Midwest Catching Academy. And we're here to, uh, to rock and roll with you guys throughout this podcast. My career, I've spent seven years in professional baseball. I've gotten to reach the AAA with, uh, with the Cubs in Iowa. And then I'll, uh, I'll pass this over to our other partner, Chris News. Hey guys. Hey, uh, Chris Snooze uh, on social media known as Under Two Catching, under the number two and catching. It's on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm up in Buffalo, New York. We are expecting a huge snowstorm to come in another day. And it's about 34 degrees out. And that usually stays like this uh, for about eight to 10 months out of the year. We enjoy our July and August, and then we get right back into the uh, freezing cold weather. Um, yeah, so excited to be here, ready to talk some catching. Um, I was a, a guy that played 11 years in the minors, six different organizations, Phillies, Reds, Expos, Indians, Yankees, and Pirates. Been an associate scout since 2008 with the Cubs right now. And um, yeah, so I maxed out at AAA. Uh, but got to obviously play with a lot of guys that got to the promised land and learned a lot of things. And that's why we're here to pass that information on to everybody listening. Um, you know, again, Tyler Goodrow here. Uh, I don't have as illustrious careers like the other two, but uh, one thing I'm going to tell you, there's 20 plus years of catching knowledge on this podcast. But one thing is for sure, we're all rookies at this. So uh, cut us some slack, right? Um, I think a, a segue to bring back in is, you know, the value of the catching position is it's, it's almost becoming uh, in a downward spiral or obsolete in the sense of from pitch framing. Um, you know, there's, a, there's statistics out there now that we can quantify and, and, and truly ensure that, you know, the guy that's behind the plate is a quality catcher by the way he frames the ball. Now, I guess it brings me into, uh, you know, my next question for you guys is, and I'm sure something that's circling all around social media and, and just the general media as well, is is the automated strike zone. Um, I guess first mm-hmm. and foremost, somebody can take take this one, but number one, what's your opinion? Number two, um, where where does the value go? How do you retool this position in your guys' uh, in your guys' eyes? Well, I'll, I'll lead it off then. I absolutely hate it. As soon as they, I understand that everyone wants to be the fan experience and they want to show the, the strike zone. But I, I think ever since they put that box on television, it's really gone 
against the against the umpires for one and you know it's allowed the catchers to manipulate more and you really with that box you know I was one of the you know always the guy that was saying hey how how are these catchers getting away with moving their glove you know 12 14 16 inches into the zone and the umpire is just allowing them um, I've always seen the it's a strike zone okay I, I've never heard it called the strike box for one and and the zone has always been it's always been kind of a uh, a blurred area you know the the umpires you it's why they always say no you know you have to know each pitcher well you also have to know your umpires i remember you know there are plenty of guys that i knew all the umpires on a first name basis you know you talk to them throughout the games but through through the course of a season you knew which guys were a little bit loose you know which guys that were were really tight and you know how far certain guys would give you um expanding the zone on you know on the inside or outside part of the play today it's more of a it's more of a vertical game um, working from the bottom up where you know when I was playing it was more about the pulling that pitch back from the corners you know you never wanted to stay down the middle of the plate everyone seems like they do that today because they're working underneath the zone but I've just uh, with the umpires I think the the game I'm not one that enjoys all the changes you know within the game I like, um, you know, I like being able to work an umpire. I like to be able to, to say, okay, I know this guy's going to be a little, little tight. And that's where you have to talk to your pitcher and say, Hey, we gotta, we gotta really focus in and make sure we're hitting our spots today. Um, and if there's an art, you know, if you can, you can set your glove up just off the plate or maybe have the, the heel of your glove touching the black and being able to take that pitch and, and get those for a strike, even though when you know it's a ball, Man, that's I mean, that's the the funnest part about receiving is sitting there and going back like, yeah, man, I got I was getting we're, we're getting eight inches today. You know, he's giving it to us. But now it's almost like it doesn't matter what you do. If they're going to go to these robot umpires where they're just listening for a sound saying, yes, it's a strike. You know, instead of the guys worrying about getting criticized for missing a pitch that's, you know, three inches below or to the side of this box. Um, I don't know. I've always liked the human aspect of it. Um you know, umpires are there for a reason. They call it either yes or no, and it's part of the game. You just got to live with it. But, you know, stuff changes, and, you know, I don't think there's really anything we can do about it. It's just sit back and see what they're going to dictate. I like that, Chris. Um, I'm kind of a little bit on the fence on both sides, and in, in, in all fairness, is I think there's going to be some, some good that comes out of it. You know, I, I don't know how much necessarily we'll see, but – uh, the the bad part for me is, or the un, unfun part to me to see is that, you know, it's going to take away some of the 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 craft of, of the catcher, you know, just receiving and, and stuff that you work on, which, you know, I think overall catching the ball is going to become much more simpler because now you're not having – your guys aren't going to have to worry about really trying to do too much other than just catch it. Um, you know, the the aspect of still having, having good hands with transfer and footwork is going to become definitely, I think, much more uh, celebrated and a, a bigger tool, especially uh, dialing into the blocking aspect of the game. Cause I think those are where the two things are really going to get into. If this really hits the big league level, um, you know, as it filters down, you know, cause then your guys, at the lower levels, well, if they want to get to the big leagues, well, they're not have to worry about receiving as much or framing as much. Well, now I just got to worry about, you know, my footwork and throwing and, and how hard I can throw and get rid of it and block it. Well, you know, you still take away the craft and, and the tools to the kids at the younger game because they still got to be able to receive and catch because guys at that level aren't going to have the robot strike zone. Um, I think that 
the tooling of it should really only change or benefit once they get to the pro level. If they introduce this into college baseball, you know, then, then maybe they don't have to worry about, you know, uh, pitch framing as much and everything else. But from that lower level, you should still focus on, on your receiving aspects because it's going to make you a better, uh, a better thrower because your transition still has to work with your hands. And if you got good hands, you can throw. Um, you know, you look at the middle infielders. Why are you guys transition so much for middle infield behind the plate? Well, you know, the guys can hit. They got good feet. They got good hands. They're turning double plays all the time. Well, kind of like I instructed all of our guys here, you know, if I get a guy that transitions from middle infield, hey, if you're a shortstop and you can turn double play, you can throw from behind the plate. You're just not going to mm-hmm. be standing up at all the time. Right. You're just going to doing it from a little bit more of a squad down position. But your hands and feet are going to work almost identically the same. There's nothing to change. Other than the fact that you're starting down low and you're coming out to throw. That's it. So yeah. if we're looking at that point, you know, picking the ball is going to become even more relevant, uh, probably more than blocks, um, especially if they introduce the the drop their strike pass ball um, deal where they can take first base. Um, you know, that's going to become even more prevalent with, with blocking pitches and making sure guys can pick and having good hands. Um, it is kind of – it kind of sucks. I'll just say to see it go bye-bye because I really enjoy teaching that aspect with guys and it's fun, you know, cause that was part of our craft was how well we could get pitchers through a game by, you know, helping manipulate the strike zone a little bit or getting that umpire on our side. And, you know, if you think back to get the days like that, I'm like John Smoltz and Greg Maddox and uh, one of the guys like uh, Greg Max, I got a chance to catch him in spring training. Those guys probably wouldn't have lived like they lived early in the years. If this thing would have been around back then, you know, or if they were pitching. Yeah, now. I agree. All right, guys. So should we move on to something else here? Sure. Next topic. What do you guys got? Well, let's let's talk talk about the interesting topic that everybody brought up at ABCA that couldn't let it go at all. Let's just go ahead and bring up the one knee. Yeah. Okay. There we go. There you go. Let's just do it now and get into it, folks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, (laughs) all right. Next topic. This is a hot, hot stove topic when it comes to catching (laughs) and the position. both CJ and I attended this last year's ABCA uh, Coaches Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was just as oh, – what's the word? It was just as uh, prevalent of a topic as launch angle, but one knee <laughs> setups and catching. And I'm going to start with a vet on the call, Chris Snooze. Chris, okay – <laughs> Let's hear your opinion right. first and foremost of one knee setups and catching. All right. So you, uh, as you guys know, I'm, I'm a little older than you guys in the era that I played in. And a high school coach. Nobody ever, nobody, and a high school coach this year to to try to have some fun with that. There was nobody that ever did that. You would maybe on a on a two strike pitch, you would drop your knee on impact and stab at a ball outside. But I have been, when this started coming out, I know that me and Tanner Swanson have had a a few little rants back and forth, which was fun. Um, Tanner now working with Gary Sanchez, but I was always, I didn't understand it. And I'm, I sat there and say, well, if you take a guy like Jason Kendall, you know, who sat real low to the ground. If that's mm-hmm. the reason is just to get low to give the umpire a view, what's the purpose I'm going on one knee? And I would argue, you guys know I fought about it for about a year, um, trolling it a little bit. And then finally this fall, so everyone's doing, I'm like, well, 
if that's the way the game's going, I have to, I have to feel something. I have to do something before I can teach it to my kids. So I was working with a, the division, division three school up here in the fall, just working with their catchers a little bit. And they're, they're doing an inner squad the one day. And I didn't like how the, the kids were, were handling the staff. So I go, you know something? I said, give me a, give me a set of gear. I ran in my, in my, um, my truck. And luckily my son had his hockey equipment in there. I, I threw a cup on and I said, give me the equipment. So I went back there. Now I didn't speaking have my like gloves. I had my right there. He's speaking yeah, like a real I didn't catcher. Have... He's got, he had a cup <laughs> with him at all times. He came prepared. <laughs> Thank God I've got hockey and football and baseball equipment all in the back of the truck. But I grabbed that. The only glove I had was my little focus framer from All-Star. And uh, so I went back there and I caught four innings. Now, like you said about Charlie Green, I caught for both teams. So I did a couple innings and just getting back into it, having fun with it, picking off runners, throwing, um, showing the pitchers how to set guys up, doubling up inside, all that fun stuff. And then I go, you know something, let me, let me try this. So initially when I sat down, I sat up with my left knee in front of my planted foot. And that felt the same way as if you're, you know, if you're reaching out on a pitch on a corner. And then I'm sitting here trying to analyze in between pitches, how, how can I make this a little bit more comfortable on a pitch that might run inside to a righty? So I switched my feet a little bit. I put my, my left knee down, um, but I made it even with the middle of my, of my right instep. And then I played around a little bit. I leaned into my, into my leg that was up. So I had my kind of my chest into my thigh um, and that felt comfortable. And I said, okay, now everyone's dropping their glove. I understand the low zone, but let me do what everyone else is doing. I'm just going to leave my thumb on the ground. And when I did that, I found like I had a little bit more time. So I could actually let the ball get close to me and then ride up and meet it into the zone. The other neat thing too, was, as you know, the high school and college pitchers don't have the best of command all the time so I would get a number of little short hops so normally when you're in a traditional stance and you're you're setting up with your glove you know at knee level which is where we were all taught that pitch that's in the ground uh, you're either trying to block it or you're trying to pick it but there's a lot of you know there's a there's a pretty good amount of distance between the ground and the glove so what I did is when I had my thumb down now I could see actually where the ball is going to hit and if it was within a glove length I knew instantly that, hey, I can just leave my glove down there and I could funnel it in and pick it. And if it was shorter than that, uh, there were two of them. I think I posted one back in the fall where all I literally did is just let my glove flip over, slide it back over my cup, and then just tuck my head down. And it was, you know, I absorbed it. And, you know, I had to learn that. I had to kind of watch online then and give in and, and try going side to side. And now I've I've taken that stance and I've I've showed all of my kids, whether it's softball or baseball, not only how to do the balls in front of you, but showing that you are athletic enough to move side to side. And I've had pretty much all of my catchers have said, this is just so much, so much easier. And I feel so much more relaxed because they're almost starting off in a ready to block position. Um, we're starting to transition even out of the, you know, throwing out of there too, but just from, you know, from the initial setup is just getting down there. You know, I understand it now as far as why guys do it. They want to, they want to take the view out of the umpire, you know, with two knees, the umpire is going to be looking at your knee and saying, okay, that's my visual for where the bottom of the zone is. Now you take that away and yeah, you can make pitches look a heck of a lot better. Um, 
you know, just by lifting it into the zone. And even if you were to leave it there, it still looks better than if you had were on two feet where you would actually stop the ball under the knee. And now they're like, well, of course, that's a ball. So, yeah, it's uh, I had fun with it. And then I'm like, geez, OK, I'm, I give in, guys. You, you guys are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm developing. I'm learning. You know, I'm I'm progressing, you know, along with the game. So, you know, I guess you, you can teach an old dog new tricks in my case. So. So, so you're, so what you're saying is, is that the consensus is, is that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it. I'm okay. a fan of it. I've got, so, I've got kids in college doing it. Kids that are, you know, as young as um, my little nine and 10 year old groups that I post every weekend, those guys are doing it. They love it. And because it's, it makes it easier, especially at that age. So let me, let me say something here real quick. So um, I pulled up the, this last year's 2019 framing runs, right? The, or call strikes above average, the extra run strikes that they get from catching standpoint. So number one was Austin Hedges. Uh, Number two was Tyler Flowers. Number three was Vasimani Grandal. Number four was Roberto Perez. Number five was Christian Vasquez. Number six was Buster Posey. Number seven was JT Real Muto. Number eight was Brian McCann. Number nine was Carson Kelly. And number 10 was Danny Jansen. So if I look at this and we start out at Austin Hedges, Austin Hedges is pretty, pretty much in a traditional setup and he'll work underneath with his knee. It's kind of a late move like you were talking about earlier, Chris. Uh, Tyler Flowers, mm-hmm. he's switching left, right. He might be in a, a traditional setup every once in a while. So we'll go with the latter that he is more so uh, a one knee setup guy. Yasmani Grandal, I very rarely ever see Yasmani Grandal set up on a knee. Um, he's more of a traditional setup, so probably a, a 70% guy that he's in a traditional setup. Roberto Perez, probably more so of a traditional setup. Christian Vasquez, more of a traditional setup. Buster Posey, more of a traditional setup. Jay Churamilto, he's he does a lot of kickstand out uh, positioning. Brian McCann, mm-hmm. um, tr- primarily a traditional setup. I know he had a couple knee injuries that had forced him to – I guess experiment with that as well, but he's more of a traditional setup guy. Carson Kelly, more of a traditional setup guy. Danny Jansen, more of a traditional setup guy. So out of those guys, of those 10, of the top 10 guys that, that were uh, in extra runs saved by, by framing, you have Tyler Flowers, uh, JT Real Muto are your guys that are, are two out of the 10. I mean, that's 20% of the best, you know, and the, the list goes on. Max Stasi is right below at 11. He's a traditional setup guy. Russell Martin's pretty much a traditional setup guy. Alex Avila, he drops the left knee, but he's a traditional setup guy. I mean, the list goes on. So yep. does, it, does it work? I think so. Does it, does it need to be per your catcher and this is something that I put out on social media the other day and I love to hear your guys' thoughts on this but I had a conversation again and you know I try to interact with as much of my catchers as possible so the guy the, the one of the sole guys that I worked with from from a organization this last winter you know he had he had said he goes I had the conversation with uh, Gomes Jan Gomes from from the Nationals he asked him he goes do you like setting up on a knee and essentially it was, you know, the Nationals won't let us set up on a knee, all the way from the big league club, all the way down through, you know, as low as rookie ball. Because Mm -hmm. the two guys, and this is what he told me, the two guys at the big league level wouldn't let us set up, or they, since they didn't set up on a knee, 
we couldn't set up on a knee. Why should we get the benefit of the doubt when we're trying to make it to the show? Um, and so he asked the question of Gomes. He said, you know, do you want to set up on a knee? He goes, yeah, it's, it's okay. He goes, the reason why I set up the way that I do is per Strasburg and Scherzer. Now, when those guys are on the bump and, and having your attitude and, and your mentality, you're there to serve your pitchers first and foremost. So that guy's sitting up on – I'm going to – if, you know, uh, Max Scherzer wants me to set up on, on my head, I'm going to find the best way possible to set up on my head if that gets him to throw, <laughs> you know, 20% more strikes. I don't know. Um, so i curious your thought. I mean, your guys' thoughts on – is it per comfortability for this, the catcher or is it what's going to get the most strikes possible for your pitcher and what visual he sees? Because I'm a believer that, uh, number one, I work for the pitcher. Number two, I work for my team. Number three, I work for my managers, coaches, et cetera, right? But in all, we're all one big family, so we're all trying to achieve the goal, which is, hey, earn more strikes, win more strikes, catch the best game that I can behind the dish. You know, I, I'll, uh, I'll go into this. I, I'm, I'm a fan of the one knee, but I also think a fan of it to the situational aspect of a, your pitcher and your catcher. Um, ultimately you're back there and, and they've all said you're, you're back there. You're working for the umpire to give them a better, a better view, a better, a better view of the zone to see more strikes, this, that, and the other, which I, I get that. But at the end of the day, and the guys that we've had here at our facility that were pro pitchers that have gone back, you know, we sit there and talk going, what do you want to see behind the plate? What's going to make you feel comfortable and confident throwing what you're, what you're looking at? And it just depends on, on your pitcher, I think, on, on what they view is, is going to help them the most for their target and their presentation. Um, two, then, yeah, it's, it goes to you being able to receive, you know, how well do you receive out of one knee versus a traditional? Um, that's one thing where I think uh, oh, Ryan Sienko made a great comment that you need to be a man of a million stances. You know, you have to have a ability to do everything because the situations might dictate from, um, you know, one thing to the next. And then if you are a one knee guy, you know, how much do you sell out to which situation? Um, runner on third base, if you're a one knee guy, you're going to take kickstand guy with a, you know, a two strike count. Obviously you're going to try to sell out more to probably the, the pass ball idea to where you don't want anything to get by you on a uh, drop third strike to be able to throw the guy out of first base. But um, you have to be able to have everything in your bag and your arsenal for every pitcher. You know, I think that's where we talked about the other day is you got to be somewhat of a psychologist uh, with your pitchers and everybody on that staff, knowing what's going to help them get through five, six, seven innings with the least amount of pitches in their back, you know, and, and save that and protect that arm. I agree 100% on that. There's, we've watched the video circulating on, on Instagram and Twitter with, uh, with Gary Sanchez, you know, coming up and throwing from one knee in drills and practices. Um, I've yet to see him from a game throwing yet. I've missed some here and there, but I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, now the the one that stands out in my mind, and I, I don't think he was in one knee prior to this pitch happening, was uh, the guy Rocky with the Dodgers. Um, I don't think he was in one knee stuff. I think he was traditional. I think he might have started going down to one knee as the ball tilted away from him. But you know, you saw how well he got rid of that ball, um, throwing the guy out of second base. In that that was, that was disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it was it was incredible. You know, I mean, go yeah. back to just talking about pure athleticism as a catcher. You know, at the end of the day, you have to be an athlete. 
And whether that means you're able to go to a one knee, traditional, real wide, traditional, real narrow. You know, I played with, uh, or coming around with LaCroix. You know, that guy set um, a very narrow need stance and set real low. Um, kind of like Jason Kendall did in his earlier years, the same way, you know, with a, just a, a upright backdrop. But he had good hands and could really work below his knees, not front of his knees really well from the same position. So it's all relative to, to your athlete. You know, I think that's – you're not going to take a six six catcher and say, hey, you have to go wide stance automatically in a traditional setup because he might feel better with a one knee without some all that leverage sitting in one location. Um, it, it's, it's all situational. You know, it's, and it's by person. You know, nobody, it's no cookie-cutter, um, you know, aspect to any of the stuff that we teach or is out there. So no, I agree with that. And I, you know, it's funny that you brought up Gary Sanchez and, and the work that he's done prior and, you know, maybe spring training's uh, the place to do it or the place to try it. Uh, but I would assume that you would have to do it longer, you know, that you got to get runners in there to see, you know, from a reactionary uh, perspective, what what's happening. Um, you know, somebody else posted a video of Mitch Garver uh, just recently and all of his throwdowns <clears throat> from his 2018 numbers to his 2019 numbers and that his cost stealing percentage went down by two points. Um, and I look at that and it's like, I watched the video all the way through and I watched it again and I watched it again. You know, he was in his, in 2019, he was in a one day setup the entire year. And I remember watching the game uh, when I first saw it, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. And then having a conversation with, with Tanner um, at ABCA uh, in Dallas two years ago, um, asking him, you know, kind of, what his methodology is. And, and, you know, he talked about that he's going to try this and a um, little bit outside the box thinking, but I watched these throws going back to these throws, you know, a lot of them were underthrown. A lot of them were either high, but then, you know, we're, we're criticizing a professional baseball player, somebody that probably throws at least 85 to 86 plus behind the plate. Um, you know, he's handling pitchers that we talked to, like Chris talked about, the, the guys that are throwing 100 miles an hour with movement, cut, sink. Uh, you got a batter in the box. You know, what are the organizations telling these guys? Well, my value as a catcher right now, and this is going back again, I think a little bit of the automated strike zone, my value as a catcher and where I'm going to show um, my worth is by catching the ball. So they're taking away that. So I'm watching these throws and the runners are getting humongous jumps. The pitchers, you know, uh, they're taking these big, huge leg kicks before they're delivering the baseball. And it's like, okay, did I watch the same video? And where you're criticizing a guy because he's on one knee and you're watching the runners that are on first base. Now the, the run game has been devalued because of instant replay um, and, and things and shifts and things like that. So you already have a guy there. Um, but I also feel like, you know, the slide step, you know, I, I was listening to something the other night. I think it was John Smoltz talking about slide steps. Well, those might become obsolete. The pickoff move might become obsolete. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> at that point in time, if we add in an automated strike zone, no pickoffs, I'm going to put my body in the best position that I can throw a one four to second base because it seems like that's where we're going to. We're going to throw the perfect game balls down to second base. And I don't know if that's attributed by a one knee setup, but again, I think going back to this whole topic, it's situational 
versus transactional. And, and I took that from, from Brian Watley, who's now the uh, Padres catching coordinator. He always talked about, you know, I'm talking with these guys down here in minor league camp. Okay, it's something to add to your toolbox. It's not something that you have to abruptly change. Yeah, there's benefit, like you said, Chris. There's benefit getting underneath the pitch or being more comfortable, more relaxed. The, the fact that you can wait on the pitch longer so you can manipulate it deeper. Um, so I guess it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a topic that probably won't go away until, you know, who knows? I mean, I think it, maybe it's here to stay. Like we said, it's like launch angle. It's here to stay. So, yeah, you know, have you guys that, been teaching any of the mechanics of how to actually come out and throw from that, from that chance? Qu- like, what are you, what are you I, guys doing with your kids right now? Yeah, I ha- I have been for sure. Um, just one, um, because the fact is to give that like uh, as, as Tyler said, an an arsenal is what um, you know Wally mentioned is an extra arsenal in your toolbox. You know, you, you never know. I mean, games get long. These kids play two, three games a day. If you start talking about your travel games that they go play during the summer, um, you know, how can they take a real relaxation on those legs and, and not just be destroyed when they've got you know a, a fast runner on and then they a chance to maybe throw a guy out and you know. Uh, Chris, which is great that I, you're in the high school world, you know, coaching right now, which is so tough that we battle things here in our area. And I'm not sure how it is in the other markets, but it, it's, I've been, I've been the anti guy for years. And then <laughs> something came up and they're like, could you, could you, could you consider it? And everyone, believe me, everyone up here, they're like, Oh yeah, Mr. Mr. Anti high school guy, guys, <laughs> this and that, you're the travel guy. So yeah, it'll, it, it's fun. I'll, I'll have fun with it this year. Well, yeah, so that's that's what we battle down here with our our guys that are you know this way are, are very talented catchers, and you know they it helps them in the receiving aspect. You know maybe they're not going to do it with runners on base or all game, but just the fact that they do it for a little bit you know helps them get through a game a little bit longer, right. um, depending on the situation. Which I think is the biggest uh, the help for our younger guys right now for sure. Um, you know saving the legs you know and longevity yeah. for them right now, and I think that's a huge point to that and. It's, well, it's you, tough. It's tough right. to get guys on board uh, on board to understand that's what it's for. We're not teaching guys lazy. Yeah, uh, I think that's a misconception. Is it's <laughs> a great point. If they're lazy, well, even with even with softball guys, girls are catching in tournaments four to oh, five absolutely. games on a Sunday. Uh huh. I mean, right. it's that's that's the pure insanity of of all of it. Oh, I know, and it, it's 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 gets a little bit absurd, and you know, I, I think that they they. If a kid's going to be lazy, they're lazy, period, in a story, whether you put them back there or not. And, you know, say, well, if he's going to go to one knee, he's going to be lazy. No, I think that's the mentality and the makeup of your player. You know, you, you can't just judge it from the get-go. You know, I mean, if you had a catcher that's lazy back there right now, not blocking balls, putting him to one knee is not going to make him any more lazy than he already is. You know I mean? He's just not right. going to do it, period, in a story. Well, and that's a great point because if you look at it as us three right now, we, we, we all three run catching academies. And, and our main focus is the amateur player, right? And, you know, there's, there's limitations like we talk about. But, you know, when you have those conversations with your high, the high school coaches in the area, you know, I had one with, with my actual former high school coach. Uh, he knows that I run a catching academy. I had probably about six of his catchers come through this last uh, offseason. And I said to him, I said, so what, what are your thoughts on, on one knee catching? And he said, you know, he goes, I'm a fan of it. And I said, well, that's not, the, that's not what I'm getting from your other coaches. That's not the consensus. They said they don't like it. Um, and I said, well, 
Do you understand why? And I think that's the biggest thing. Do we understand why? Mm -hmm. You asked, you know, Chris, well, do we teach it? I think it has to be taught. Um, am, I a, am I a movement pathologist? No, I, I, I don't know. I can only see limitations in, the, in the, the warm up and the mobility stuff, the mobility screens that I do, but I can see that there's limitations. A guy that's six foot four, you know, and decides that he's going to be, you know, the next Joe Maurer, right, from behind the plate, might not have a quick release, but, and, and, and maybe it's because of his stride with his foot. So let's sit you up in a one-knee position, okay, and I want you to feel like, you know, that right foot is anchored in the ground. So you're basically just using your front, you know, your front foot to stride. You're not creating any, you know, movement with your right foot, but you're anchored in the ground. Let's see what that looks like. And the kid is decreasing his, uh, you know, his pop, which I'm not a real big fan of the pop. The pop is a, uh, is a long um, discussion in itself, but he's, he's decreasing it. Maybe doesn't have the same amount of arm strength, or maybe it does increase his arm strength, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think the data sets with these amateur players are very, very slim because, you know, we're trying to make, you know, that kid – we have a, I think we have a very strenuous job as, as three catching instructors at the amateur level. We're helping the kids, number one, improve their overall game, whether it's receiving, blocking, throwing. Uh, we're also helping them, if their aspiration is to play collegiately, to go to a showcase where they're going to get five throws and they're going to try to go sub two with, you know, a, a 75 or to 80 mile an hour, you know, arm strength down to second base. And then number three, we're helping them to try to make their high school teams and or to be successful when they're there and when they're playing in travel baseball. And I think mm -hmm. we, we have a tough job. So, again, I think it comes down to, you know, don't conform to one thing. Be an athlete. And that's the biggest thing when we talk about catching is just be an athlete behind the plate. What works for one might not work for the other. There's all roads lead to Rome, right? You're trying to accomplish one, one, one major task, okay? I, I talked about this uh, a, a while ago about, you know, we saw that throw from Rocky Gale, um, mm -hmm. you know, where it was kind of sidearm sling. Well, you had a guy like Thurman Munson. That, that's how he threw. And Yeah, that was nobody, every day. Yeah, it was every day. Nobody criticized him, you know. Nobody said, oh. You're doing the it results. wrong. Just get well, the results done. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's what we have to understand as uh, catching instructors, catching coaches, baseball coaches in general. At the high school level, what are, what are those guys want to do? They want to win. So if the result is your, son, or your, um, your athlete, your catcher, sitting up on a knee and he's popping, you know, sub twos in games, you know, and he's back picking from one knee and he's blocking from one knee. And he's keeping the runs from scoring because he's he's managing to get extra strikes. Then then let's be for it. So I don't know. That's just my opinion. I don't know if it's worth anything. I, th I think with all the I think with all the kids, you know, whether they're you know a ten year old or a high school or even a college guy, when you're when you're starting to show them, you know, hey, here's why we're going to try it to at least you know, like you said, give you another uh, you know another bullet in your holster, you know, something extra. But for me, I, like I said, I always have to feel something before I can teach it. And I started to teach 
just recently, the last few weeks, trying to throw out of a knee. I actually had a kid who's a sophomore in high school. He wanted to, to see what was quicker. He was actually, he was 0.08 seconds quicker coming out from the knee, mainly because as the ball was coming into him, all I had him do is create a little bit of momentum, make him be aware of it. And that was nothing more than letting his his left knee or his left leg, which was up because I had his right knee down. I don't, I haven't been able to figure out how to throw with your left knee down, but with the right knee down, all I had him doing was just kind of leaning forward, you know, like flexing his, flexing his knee towards his target. And instantly when the ball hit his glove and he's driving out of it, he was able to actually gain more ground, use his back leg more to throw out of than he would have just, you know, loading underneath his hips and then stepping and throwing. So it was a it was a cool little thing, and every time that I every time I play around with it, there's always another little thing of, hey, where you know where should my knee be in uh, correlation to where my my foot that's down, you know, should they be even with my foot? Should it be behind it? Should it be in front of it? You know, all these stuff I do every weekend to try to get a better understanding of this, and you know, as we try to figure it out a little more. Um, you know, I think your results are going to, are going to show up a little bit more too. I would still love to talk to Tanner about how he's, you know, how he's teaching this, you know, with his guys, whether it was the twins last year, the Yankees this year to see what, you know, what they're doing to create momentum into the throw. Cause when you, when you ask a young kid, Hey, try to throw from, you know, one knee, they're just leaving their right foot literally stuck in the ground, standing up and throwing all arm, which is the opposite of what we want to accomplish. Absolutely. Well, and you look at a guy like Benito Santiago, right? I mean, he threw from, yeah, he was in a traditional setup position, but he always threw from his knees. Mm-hmm. So, and, and plus, here's the other thing, too. We forget to mention that uh, Gary Sanchez has an 80-plus arm from behind the plate. You know what I mean? So maybe oh, it yeah. helps, maybe it, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the one thing. is in Throwing from with the left knee down setup is definitely, I think, going to be – obviously more trickier just because the way the body's going to work moving into that position, um, which that that's the one thing I'm trying to see from guys is like, I talked to a couple guys that, that have been doing this um, and they said what they've been looking into. If you watch um, uh, Salvador Perez, if anything goes below the kneecap, he throws from one knee just on the ground. He doesn't stand up. He doesn't come up. It's if it's below the kneecaps and it's working, the ball's working down. He just stays down throws from a knee, which Ideally, you have to have arm strength to be able to create that movement to happen. But, you know, for your younger, older, your guys don't have the arm strength those guys have, they're going to have to stand up. So they're probably not going to be in a one knee. And I think that's going to definitely, where you talk about situational, you know, what's the guy like? You know, does he have the arm strength to really pull this off or not? And mm-hmm. uh, down to those guys, is, it's going to be tough to really teach teach that, especially with some of your, your high school guys. You know, left knee down trying to throw. Man, unless you're going to throw a rainbow down there and try to get there. <laughs> It's probably not going to get there quick enough to throw somebody out. Speaking of which, did you see the? Did you see the? There was a post flying around on on Twitter yesterday and today about the one kid who was who was throwing the ball down. I don't know if he, if he threw it with his whole hand or something like that, but it was it was strange out of the release. I got to go back and look for it, but it was like a two six down to second. You know, the ball was rolling by the time it got to the. Uh, Are you talking about the, 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 college, the college kid game? The yeah, it was. I forget what teams it was. It looked like it was like a two hopper to the second baseman. Yeah, I, I think he probably palmed it. Something weird happened is what it looked like. 
Yeah. I mean, people there, you'll see people obviously trolling. Oh, this is a, one of my kids who's in college is like, can you believe this is a division one catcher? And I go, how many times did you come up and throw and didn't have a grip? You know, right. and if you don't have a grip, you're going to do the same thing. It's like you're throwing a grenade instead of a ball. And, you know, that's a mechanical thing. You know, if right. you don't get a grip, if your feet are going too fast and you don't give your arm a chance to catch up, that's going to be the result of any time. Absolutely. Well, enough of the, the one knee stuff. Uh, all right. All right. So we're going to end the show now. Um, no, that's stupid. Uh, we're going to go into some of our drills, tips, techniques, things to help our listeners out there, stuff that they can do with their teams and players. Uh, I'm going to lead us off here. Uh, we're going to focus on the topic of receiving just because it's, it's at the forefront. You know, receiving is number one. Uh, all you youth catchers, all you uh, high school catchers, college catchers, and even professional catchers, receiving is number one. Things that I like to do with my, my catchers, oh, gosh. Uh, gosh, the guy's going to put me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I go through a, a receiving progression uh, in my academy. A lot of the guys will come in about 30 minutes early, and we do what's called receiving absolutes. It's kind of something we do on an everyday basis. I don't let the guys skip that at all. Um, it's important. It's like stretching. It's warming up. It's like uh, a walkthrough in, in, in football, per se. But uh, that's something that I, I really enjoy doing. The guys like doing it. It, it kind of gets a little, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word boring, but um, I don't want them to feel complacency because this is the most important thing in their job. So we have kind of engaged their movements a little bit. Uh, so we'll use wrist weights. We'll use J bands. Uh, started to, to lean away from those and, and focus more on softer reception. So we'll use, uh, we'll start off with using disc. Um, and I throw them vertical so their, their thumb stays at 6 o'clock and they're kind of using their elbow to, as an anchor to kind of hinge it in and, and, and receive it up. So we'll start with, with disc toss. Right after that, we'll move into something that I got from uh, Ryan Sienko. It's these web gloves. They're, they go on your thumb and your index finger, and we throw a little, little golf ball uh, to our guys. Uh, making sure that thumb stays underneath it, obviously constantly working on our pre-pitch movement. And from there, we'll throw in a racquetball. It gets a little bit easier to catch with a racquetball. And then we'll go with a lacrosse ball, a little bit easier with a lacrosse ball. And then I'll take a 10-ounce baseball. Um, so two baseballs combined, a 10-ounce baseball. And we'll work on, um, you know, a natural one-move out, kind of what like I call like a, a, a glide-through. Uh, up back into the zone. We'll start with our mid on the ground, so our pocket's inverted, so we're keeping pocket awareness all the way through the catch. And then after he catches it there, I'll have the guy take the ball out, flip it back to me, and then we'll do uh, more of a, a flex, or excuse me, an extension to flexion technique back in. So they're working both because, again, I think receiving is based on pitch specific and the timing of it. So also using, and I know some of you guys will talk about this, uh, but we use the, the all-star training gloves. My favorite one is the donut because it, it really uh, focuses on keeping that pocket exposed. Um, but those are just some of the drills that I like to do with the guys.
Funny, that was the that was what I was gonna use for mine. I do a I do a drill with all my catchers. They can use a regular glove. I love using the donut, um, the All Star Training glove. And what I do is I set up. I, I call it a seven pitch drill. So I set up about thirty feet away, and I have the kids, you know, in a traditional stance. And the, the purpose of the drill is to to keep them relaxed and let the ball come to them, not have to go out and grab it. So I'll have them keep the glove a little closer to their body for this drill. And I'll throw it from 30 feet and I'll, I'll put a little on it. You know, hopefully I have a good accuracy that I can get it near the glove. So they don't have to move it a whole lot. But every time that I throw wherever I step and I land, that's where I'm throwing the next one from. So by the end of the drill, I'm like seven, 10 feet away, just slinging it in. And they literally are, you could see them almost kind of, kind of pooping their pants because they're like, oh, please don't hit me in the face. And I'll hit them in the glove, like, like up close. And I said, see, so there's, there's your equivalent of how to catch a hundred mile an hour fastball. I say, you know, you, they get a hang of it where it's not so much, I got to go grab it and jam my thumb up. I'm going to let the ball and I'm going to use my eyes. I always tell the kids, you know, everything we do, we have to do with our eyes. You know, you receive with your eyes, you block with your eyes, see the ball coming in and let it come into the glove instead of reaching for it. So you do this drill with them as you get closer they get a little more nervous, but you're also putting them in a position where the ball's coming so fast, they can't go out to grab it. They're just literally, and I just said, just let it hit in the, hit in the middle of the glove, hit in the pocket. And it's just, all they're doing is touching it. But they also, the donut gloves are phenomenal. I always, and here's another topic we can, we can touch in another time, is everyone talks about soft hands. You know, how do you develop them? What is it? Every kid that I always ask, can you explain it to me? They're like, uh, you know, just make your hand soft. They have no idea how to really do it. And the, the donut glove keeps your hand wide and big and keeps it relaxed on impact. And like I said, it, it's a drill that I've used for, geez, probably about 10 years. And, you know, it, it really the kids pick it up instantly of, oh, this is what you mean of let the ball come to me, where I don't have time to, to go out and grab it and manipulate. You know, it's just I'm, I'm working on being relaxed as a receiver, and I think it's a great – I mean, I love the drill. The kids kids all like when we do it as well. So, Well, I guess I'm going to follow the uh, the group here and say that uh, one of my favorite drills that I, I work constantly with my guys involves using the all-star mitts. Um, we focus on a, a mitt progression drill. So we use all the basically all-star gloves in the bag, your focus framer, your donut, your pockets, your keyhole, all of them. And we use that as basically a five, six pitch um, repetition and ending up with their, with their final mitt, working on being able to focus on mainly pocket presentation um, and, and using that from different distances and also from a, a high point working on um, a real steep angle of the ball, making sure they work pocket uh, under the ball and making sure they're facing the ball the entire time for pocket presentation. Um, and just to have a little fun to add to that, Chris, um, a drill that I think was great for guys with soft hands is, man, throw some eggs at these guys, you know, soft hands. <laughs> learn, learn, learn to cradle the egg. Water you know? balloons, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and you know, it was, a, it was a fun drill that I've done in, uh, in spring training before. We all, we they gave us eggs, you know, and, um, you know, whoever ended up with the most eggs at the end of spring training got a little something out of the out of the the clubby's house or whatever. Um, but that's uh, that's something we in, incorporate with some of our guys here during our, our camps. Uh, just have a little fun with our younger guys, especially. That's cool. Yeah, anything you can make for the to make it enjoyable, or you know, the kids pick something up right at the beginning. Then you know we've you know we've all done our job by the end of the lesson. We're uh, we're gonna have all star on the show. 
Um, we're going to talk with Stan Yerga about, you know, how they've progressed over the years and, you know, some of the new technology that they got working up in Massachusetts at their, uh, you know, at their office and um, kind of what's in store. You know, it's a, we all use the gloves. You know, I, I designed the, the pocket glove back in spring training of 2000 and um, got another one on the way that you guys have seen there. It should be ready in a couple months that we'll, you know, obviously have all sent out there to you, but yeah, they're, they've always been the innovator of, you know, of all the equipment, you know, whether it was the, the hockey style mask that first came out, um, the, the glove leather, you know, I've, when I was younger, I've, I've used the, the other brands in that. And, you know, I've always said nothing breaks in like an all-star glove, you know, it just, the, the pocket just is so nice. And the, the, the leather, you know, like forms to your hand and, you know, you, there's some other models that I'm sure you guys have used where that you just can't create a deep pocket. Um, you know, but I've, I loved them. I mean, I remember going to spring training before and I'd get my glove shipment in and, you know, my, it'd drive my wife nuts because I would, I'd have two or three of the gloves out of the, the package and, you know, I would, I'd sleep with them because that, that padding and the fur inside of it feels just so nice. There's nothing <laughs> like it. And the smell and you, you're just like, I'm going to bed with my gloves. And she's like, well, what about me? I'm like, well, you know, you can join you too, if you want, man. <laughs> Yeah, here, have one. You can see what I see. Why I'm so happy. <laughs> right. Well, folks, looks like the Empire's on its way out to the mountain. You know what that means. It's time for us to break this rock pile up and head on home. But before we get out of here, on behalf of myself, CJ Medlin of Midwest Catching Academy, Tyler Goodrow of Goodrow Catching, and Chris Snooze of Under Two Catching, we thank you all for tuning in and checking us out. We know we're rookies of this, but be patient with us, as we know failure only makes us better. Right. Well, folks. Make sure you stay tuned into next week's because we'll have a World Series champion catcher on and also down the road be looking on the head up for Stanley the Junior. Folks, thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you later. We'll see you on the next mound visit.